Hey, this is Pastor Brian. I want to welcome you to the Reach Church Podcast. We hope this message helps and encourages you wherever you are in life and brings you closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's an honor to have Pastor Rick and Pastor Donna with us this morning. And uh, man, what an anointing uh, on their lives. Uh, I've, I've known Pastor Rick and Pastor Donna. Uh, I was just talking to somebody this, yesterday at the men's event uh, for 10 years which is, it's crazy that I've known him for 10 years, that uh, my first time meeting him was on the phone, of course, and then uh, it was like the first moment I met him, it was like he had uh, just such a care for my heart in the season that I was in, and he said, Let's, why don't you come up here uh, to St. Louis, and, and that's where I met him and, and some of his family, and it, it was just in that moment that our hearts were joined together, and we've been together ever since. Um, and so I'm just so grateful for Pastor Rick. He's, the first few years, I wore his phone out. I don't call him as much now, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful that when I do call, he gives me his ear. And so I want to honor him and Miss Donna. Thank you guys for all that you've done for our church, for me and Alicia, for our, t- yeah, let's stand and let's honor them. And uh, we're grateful to have you. Thank you. Pastor Rick, come on up. Come on, y'all can do better than that. I love you. I love you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, did Donna stand up too? Stand up, Donna. Turn around so they can see your pretty face. See my doll there? I mean, another girl. Stand up, turn around again. Look at her. Look at her. Now look at now tell me, you believe I've been married to her fifty-one years? She doesn't look that old, does she? I do though, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. What a fantastic church. I love that you this church believes so much in you and of course Brian and Alicia. What a treasure. Brian, excellent, powerful pastor. Alicia, she's just this mild, little sedate, powerful person. I love both of them very much. Are you all ready for the word of God? So we're going uh, to take no prisoners today. We're going to go for the gold uh, what I'm going to about to tackle today is a lot uh, for a Sunday morning like this, but I feel so passionately about it, and um, I think you'll see why as we get into it. I want to read first. Let me let me take this so I can get my fire and brimstone act going on here. Um. <clears throat> Let's go to Romans 1.16. This little scripture is, for years has been a favorite of mine. It simply says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so if you take this statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the word ashamed in the Greek is a word that means, listen to this, it means to be, to be reluctant to do something 
out of fear of embarrassment, humiliation, or retaliation. Think of that. So that's what Paul's saying. I, I am not reluctant out of fear of embarrassment, humiliation, or retaliation to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a defiant statement, right? You see defiance in that. And I asked myself the question, why is Paul so defiant? I mean, why not just say, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel of Christ. This is not just that. This is a statement of like a a rebelling, a, a defiance. In essence, Paul is saying, you're not going to stop me. I will stand up for this gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to back down. You can't intimidate me. You can't cancel me. I'm going to stand up. Now, why did Paul feel so defiant? Well, in the first century Palestine, Paul was experiencing the same thing that we are once again experiencing today. Now, and that is that the, that the world was attacking the gospel message. But now take note of this. You got to remember these things as I embark on this message. Take note of this, that Paul here is not speaking to the world. He's speaking to the church. So what's that about? He's speaking defiantly to the church. You're not going to get me to back down. You Christians, you're not going to get me to compromise. You preachers out there, you're not going to get me to back back off of this. Why was he saying that? It was because just as in our day, in that day, there were preachers and teachers and Christians who were compromising the gospel. They were minimizing part. Come on, listen to this. Minimizing parts of it. They were championing certain parts like, God loves you. You know, it's by grace. God is a good God. But then there were inconvenient parts. Does anybody hear where I'm going with this? There were inconvenient parts. You know, we kind of put that blood stuff and that judgment stuff and that wrath. We put all that kind of back here. And especially those parts that speak about lifestyle things, you know, I mean, like that this is the way God designed everything to work, you know, marriage and gender and all those things. Whoop, whoop, wait a minute. You know, it's like Paul says, no, you're not. I can't back off of this. Why? Because Paul realized, listen to me, church, Paul realized that if you tear out any part of this gospel, you don't have a gospel at all. He says in Galatians 1 to the church of Galatia, he said, you guys think you're preaching some other version of the gospel. You're not. He says, there is no other gospel. Either you, either you accept and proclaim all the parts Or the gospel falls apart. And folks, listen to me. The reason I preach this today to you is because, folks, our Bibles are all we've got. We don't have anything else. If we stop believing some of that or we start minimizing some of that for convenience sake, folks, we don't even have a salvation. And so today what I want to do is I want to preach to you 
the greatest gospel message ever preached. I can say that because it's not mine, it's Paul's. Paul makes this defiant statement, verse 16, and two verses later, he embarks on his gospel. It's like he says to them, baby, I'm not backing down. He said, now, you compromisers, let me tell you what the gospel is. And he puts all the parts of the gospel together. How many of you want to hear that? All right, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelts because from this point on, we are going to run. So here we go. Two verses later, the apostle Paul starts out. He said, here we go. You ready? He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. And I want to say, what? Paul, I thought you said you were going to preach the gospel. And here he starts out with this wrath and unrighteousness and suppressing the truth and ungodliness. What's that about? about? Paul starts this way, listen, because he was attacking this wrong gospel that was being preached in that day, and folks, it's the same today, where they were emphasizing the love of God and the grace of God, which all that's true, but they were doing it to the exclusion of, of telling these other inconvenient wrath sides. You know, this, this unright, these ungodliness with pointing out ungodliness. And Paul, in essence, was saying this, you guys out there who try to win people to the Lord with this message of God loves you and has a good plan for your life. You ever heard that? Oh, you tell someone God loves you and has a good plan for your life. You want that? Yeah, pray this prayer. Boom, you're in. And because of that, let me just stop and say this. That's not even the gospel. Not if that's all you're saying. You got to tell the whole gospel. And if that's all you're preaching, then they pray some simple little prayer. Folks, listen to me. That's why people become disappointed with Christianity. They say, I did it and it doesn't work. Because, folks, you don't get the life until you die. Good news. I often thought with these you know, people put big banners out in front of their church, you know, come get latte, come get whatever. I think we need to put a big banner out in front of the church and say, come and die. Wouldn't that be great? Come, reach church, come and die. That's probably not where we need to start, but... It's the way you don't get the life until you die. And so Paul starts out this way. Listen to this. Then he goes through the rest of chapter 1, same thing. All of chapter 2, same thing. The first half of chapter 3, dude, the same thing. Not one mention of the cross, of, the gra of grace, you know, of righteousness. He's just hammering it until he gets to his crescendo of this wrath stuff. And he ends it like this. Watch in Romans 3, 9. He says this. Well, what then? Are we all better than they? Not at all. 
For we have, pre we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. Now, this is after three and a half chapters. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. We say, okay, Paul, I got it now, baby. You can go on. No, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps, that snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Dude, I got it. No, you don't. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Boom. I think, Paul, what are you doing? I mean, what? You're hammering this thing out. I mean, you got me preached under the chair, man. And you know what Paul's doing? Listen, if I was preaching this message... I'd probably preach it something like this today. You know what? God loves you, but you are in sin. And if you don't repent, you're going to hell. But thank God Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, have faith in him. You go to heaven. Boom. That's it, right? Not Paul. Paul just goes on. You are lost. You are helpless. You're hopeless. You're condemned. You're a, you're the scumbag. You're a dirt bag. A no good, down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I mean, he just goes on, hammers it in the ground. Why in the world does Paul do that? Why? I mean, that's just Bible there. He's, why does he do that? Listen, he's doing it because he realizes if he preaches just some kind of passing glance about, oh, you know, you're in sin. Hey, but don't worry. Don't worry. Hey, and then you preach the rest of it about the good news. Paul realized you will not come to the place where your heart is literally bleeding and beating in your breast with how lost you are, how hopeless. You've got to feel the fires of hell. You know, people don't like that today. But let me tell you something. Until you do, you will never come to the place where you feel such conviction where you're ready to lay your entire life down before Christ. And folks, that's what it takes. It's not praying a prayer, making a decision. It's coming and saying, God, I've seen what I can do with my life. God, you take it. You lead me. My life is yours. My money's yours. My family's yours. My car, my house, my future's yours, God. I give it all to you. That's salvation. Yeah, and it's only when you truly die to those things in yourself that now you can live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, people don't like that because today, because, I mean, they're just leaving that out, right? They are. And folks, you see, dude, this is serious business. Because you leave that out, you don't have any gospel. People aren't going to heaven. I mean, come on. That's what, let me just tell you, in this church, I do thank God that there is a serious commitment to the word of God. Here, they're telling you. Yeah, they're telling you the promises. They're telling you the blessings. But they're also preaching to you 
that this thing doesn't come by some kind of lackadaisical life, but it comes by a deep commitment to Christ. This morning when they preached to you about, yeah, God will show up on time. But also even the worship, you notice, they're saying, you've got to trust him when it's a waiting time. Or when there is a breaking. I love that. That's, that's the gospel there. There's a breaking and there's a breakthrough. Ah, you like that? I like that. So Paul hammers this down and when he finally feels like he's got people under the table, then he opens this thing up. Then he opens up here in the next verse, verse 21. Watch this. He takes a turn. And he goes, yeah, you're a dog. You're nothing. You're hopeless. You're, lo- you're going to hell. Then watch this. He goes, but now. Everybody say, but now. But, oh, man, I love that. But now. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in my God, this is good, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It's like, do you see it? Paul finally says, okay, I think they're ready. He's preaching, and the further he goes, you're lost, you're hopeless, you're going to burn in hell. And then he feels, he said, I see it. I see their hearts opening up. I see them feeling convicted. And then at that moment, he says, now you're ready. But now the righteousness of God is revealed. Not by what you can do to merit it. Not by the law. It's the righteousness of Christ that's given to you. Isn't that good? You know, there was a guy named Martin Luther. You all know that name in the 16th century. Martin Luther, the father of the great reformation, he is why we are here today, frankly. And Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. And when he entered the monastery, he was so passionate about serving God and being pleasing to God that all the rules that they had for you to keep, I mean, he would go way beyond them. He would keep them as best, far more than any of the other priests. He was an oddity. The prayers that you were required to do, he went way beyond. He just, he, he poured all of his energy in trying to attain this righteousness that he sought after. And he said, after years of that, the harder I tried to please God, the further away from God that I felt I was. He said, I became so miserable that when I read the word righteousness in the Bible, I hated that word righteousness. He said, then one day, he said, I was studying. Now, I said, Martin Luther lived in this monastery, and on the side of this monastery was a big tower. And his office, his study was in the top floor of this tower, and the tower was called the Cloca Tower. It was called the Cloca Tower because the word Cloca, now, Pardon my language just for a moment, but this is important to the story. The word cloca was a Latin word that meant crap house or crapper. Are you with me now? Now, if you're a little offended at that, let me, if I use the word that Martin Luther used, you'd really be offended. So we're using the mild one. 
But this is, you, this is integral to the story. Cloaca meant the crapper, the toilet. And the whole tower was called the toilet house. He's studying up the top floor on this passage right here that I read to you. And he said he had to go to the bathroom, and so he goes downstairs to the crapper. And he's sitting on the toilet. And while he's sitting on the toilet, he said all of a sudden the heavens open up. The glory of God fills the room. He said, and revelation burst upon him. His eyes were open. And all of a sudden, for the first time, he saw that this righteousness was not my righteousness. It's his righteousness given to me. He said, all of a sudden saw that it was someone else who lived a perfect life that I could not live. And somehow by a miracle, he gave that perfection and that righteousness to me. It's an alien righteousness. I like that term. And so Paul, I mean, Martin Luther, he all of a sudden got it. And he got it on the crapper. That's important because... Listen to this. After that, for the rest of Paul's, Paul, Martin Luther's life, he was changed and he preached this one message wherever he went for the rest of his, wherever he went for the rest of his life. And when he preached this alien righteousness, he would tell people all over the world, he said, I got this revelation while I was sitting on the crapper. I mean, that's true. He told him that. And he said, the reason he did, he said, I believe God sovereignly gave me this revelation while I was on the crapper because God wanted me to know that when he sent Jesus down to me, he didn't just send him halfway down and expect me to climb halfway up. He sent him all the way down into my crap, into my dung, into the mess of my existence, into my failures and weaknesses and frailty. He sent him all the way down into that stuff and he took my crap upon himself and then gave me his perfect righteousness. Dude, I don't know if that means something to you. It means everything to me. I need Jesus to come and be my crap. Does anybody relate to that? <laughs> to be my dung. Because there's no other way you could explain it. And to me, that's so beautiful. So Paul now goes from here and he goes into chapters four and chapters five. In those two chapters, he's still preaching the gospel. He starts talking about grace, how it comes, this righteousness comes by grace. And then he talks about faith, how that faith, our faith is what access that grace. And then when he gets to chapter six, Paul feels that he has preached this grace and righteousness now so strong that he feels, wait a minute, I got to back up and say this. And Romans 6, 1 says, he said, wait. 
He said, should we continue in sin then so grace may abound? In other words, wait, 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 wait. Yes, we've been given a foreign righteousness by faith alone in Christ Jesus. But does that mean that we can live however we want to? I love this, folks. This is the gospel. The gospel is not you working to try to please God and receive righteousness, but neither is it you receiving that righteousness and then living however you want to. See that? If you get the gospel, the whole thing, it's beautiful. It's not works, but it's not a license to just sin. Something happens to you when you receive this righteousness. In Romans 6, Paul says, you died, you died. You died to sin, you died to the world. Doesn't mean you're perfect. I love this. I heard, I forget who, but it's a long time ago, I heard somebody Make this statement. He says, a great definition of a Christian is someone who wants to be one. Oh, yeah, hmm, that's right. You got to think about that, right? A Christian is someone who wants to be one, which means this. When you get saved, you don't get perfection, but you get an infection. Now, think about that. You get an in, which means the, you don't become perfect, but you get this infection, this want to, this passion to please God, this desire to be with God. And if you don't have that desire to please God and be with God, then I would question, what did I really get when I got saved? So he goes on through chapter 6. And man, he's got people riding high. Yes, we've been given righteousness. Now let's walk that thing out toward holiness. Okay, Lord, I'm going to. And so then he gets to Romans 7. Look at this. In Romans 7, verse 15, he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. And I think, wait a minute, is this the same Paul? What happened here? And some theologians sometimes have argued over this, you know, even said that, well, Paul here has inserted something that he's referring to before he got saved. You know, I say baloney. Just read the thing in context. It is what it is. I know exactly what Paul was doing. You know what Paul was doing? Paul was saying, yes, I've been given this foreign righteousness. I'm saved by grace, not by my works. Now out of that, I'm living in gratitude. Out of gratitude, I want to be pleasing to God. But he's pointing out a struggle that's going on here. He goes on to say this. He says, but now, he says, you know, when I sin, it is now no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Watch this. See if you relate to this. Paul says, I want to do something. I say, yes, God, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do this or that more. And he says, I end up not doing it. Has anybody ever had that happen? Or God, you don't want me to do this? I'm never going to do that again. And we ended up, end up doing it again. 
And Paul says, what in the world is going on with me? And then he gets a revelation. Folks, that if you ever get this, it's a game changer. He said, I discovered that when that happens, he said, it's not me, but it's my flesh. It's sin in my flesh. Now, folks, he's not pointing this out as an excuse. Say, okay, so, well, you know, just go ahead and sin. No, he's pointing out where the warfare is. He's pointing out, I've seen something. That in my spirit, man, I have received righteousness. I'm clean. I'm born again. But my flesh continues to fight against me and pull me into temptation. He says, but I've, he said, I've pointed out where the problem is. And in my spirit, man, I will wage war against my flesh and say, flesh, no, you're not going to do that. He said, I'm engaged in the war, but he said, I still mess up anyway. And after Paul points out this whole warfare, you know, right now, by this point, folks, y'all should be identifying with some of this. If you don't, you're not human. You know, some of you say, well, you know, I really don't. I've really conquered all that sin a long time ago. Oh, you may not have sex, illicit sex. You may not cheat and steal and fraud and all that. But, dude, you still got pride. You still get bad attitudes. Don't look at me like that. Right? And there is no hierarchy of sin. It's all sin. Thank you for your tremendous response. I feel like I need to stay in camp out there a while, but I don't have time. So Paul identifies this whole war going on. Then he opens Romans 8.1. I love this. So he opens Romans 8.1. He says, there is therefore. Now, therefore is there for a reason, right? Therefore means because of what I just said. He said, I pointed out that struggle that's going on, trying to work out this righteousness in your daily obedience. He said, because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He said, folks, when you realize that it's, it's your flesh attacking you, now, this is not for people who are just trying to live like the world or they're complacent. He said, I'm talking about those who are serious about God. Your spirit man wants to serve God. It's your flesh attacking you. He says, so don't you get in condemnation. So he says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Nothing. There it is again, Paul. You're always building us up, and then you're taking us down. You said no condemnation, but it's only to those who don't walk according to the flesh. And they walk according to the spirit. And then I begin to understand the key. Stand the key. You ready? The key is in the word walk. This word walk, now listen, is a Greek word peripateo. Which means this, it means to walk according to rule as your default position. Now just think about a minute. To walk means to walk according to rule as your default position. So it looks like this. I'm saying I'm heading toward God. God, I want to please you. I want to honor you. I'm walking. I'm heading. So this is my rule of walk. Uh, this is uh, my rule of walk. I'm heading toward God. As I walk this way, I may stumble. But when I stumble, that's not my default position. So I get back up and I walk again. 
because this is my default position. I walk, I stumble again. That's not my default position. I get back up. So I walk, stumble, no condemnation because I'm keep on, I keep on walking. Now, if I stumble and I stumble and I'm stumbling more than I walk, the stumbling is my default position. So condemnation comes and you can't do anything about it. But if your walk, oh, y'all getting this. If your walk is your default position and you stumble, there is no condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. Ah, I love that. So he goes from there to verse 11, and he said, now, same subject. He's going on. See how there's a progression. You got to include all these elements in the gospel. He goes, verse 11, he said, but if the same, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what he's saying. If the spirit of God that dwells in your spirit, man, dwells in your spirit, man, what he's saying, gradually as you walk, you walk according to rule towards God. Gradually, that Holy Ghost that's in your spirit, man, will work its way out into your flesh and it'll begin to root out sin. It'll begin to break strongholds. It'll begin to cleanse stuff from your past to where your flesh will not fight you the way it once did. Ha! Anybody's been walking with God diligently for a time knows that's true. Your flesh eventually gets cleansed. It never gets totally eradicated out of you till you die. But it no longer fights you to the degree that, isn't that beautiful? So then he goes on from there. He goes on from there to verse uh, 26. And he says this. He says, likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, so he's, he's talking about, because, you know, we, we take things like this out of context. He's talking about here this whole journey toward holiness. That we, work, we, we walk out of righteousness, so we're not working to please God. We are working out of gratitude for this righteousness so we can honor God. And he says, as you do that, he says, the Holy Ghost helps you in those weaknesses. He says, because you don't know what you, have you all ever been to that point where you messed up again? You didn't do what you're supposed to do. And you cry out to God and you don't even know what to say. You failed again. He says, the Holy Ghost helps in those weaknesses because he makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. It just hit me one day. I already knew the Holy Ghost was praying for us, but this is directly related to this whole journey of holiness that the Holy, it goes on to say this. He said, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I said, God, that the Holy Ghost, while I'm walking through this journey, my flesh is giving me trouble, temptations all around. The Holy Ghost is petitioning the Father with the perfect will of God concerning my walk of holiness. I'm not in this game alone. The Holy Ghost is fighting with me for my holiness. 
That's so beautiful that Paul goes to this crescendo of what? Romans 8, 28. How many of y'all know Romans 8, 28? One of the greatest, most famous passages in the Bible. And now all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Usually people will, will quote only part of it and they'll say something like, you know, people who aren't even serious about God and they'll say, well, you know, all things work together for good. Hallelujah. And I, and I say, no, they don't. That ain't true. Not for everybody. Those who've received this alien righteousness and because of that are so thrilled that they can't help themselves out of gratitude. I want to please you, Jesus. I want to walk with you, Jesus. When I fall, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I want to get up and keep walking. Ah, to those people, all things are going to work out for good for you. Isn't that good? Well, with all these wonderful things, he ends with this great crescendo. Because you think like, with all of this, what shall we say to these things? Let's see what Paul said in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, how many of you have heard that quoted or you quote it yourself? And we use it like win a football game or, you know, something else. Folks, listen to me. These people you see that have these things tattooed on or they're under their eyes or the football player. I mean, some of them really mean it. But, you know, just putting that on your, putting it on your wall or, you know, putting something on, you know, your dash on your, whatever on your car phone doesn't mean diddly squat. That's a Greek word there, diddly squat. My, my Greek word. Are you listening to me? Listen, you heard this, if, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Folks, you gotta, you've got to read the whole gospel. you got to, this, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is a declaration, a crescendo of Paul's after looking back and saying the wrath of God was against us. We were doomed for hell, but Christ gave us this foreign righteousness. I'm walking this thing out now toward holiness, and I can tell you right now, the Holy Ghost is praying for me, and because of that, if God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that good? Hallelujah. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him fall so freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Take that devil. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And I think, what? He just said the Holy Ghost is praying for us in our walk toward holiness. And now it's telling us Jesus is praying for us too. So when I'm in temptation, the Holy Ghost is inside me praying the perfect will of God back to the Father. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And he's pointing at the blood on the mercy seat and saying, Father, don't look at them. Look at the blood. Ah. 
Hallelujah. Where was I at? <laughs> he says here, it is, what am I on now? Where's the scripture? <laughs> here we go. Who shall separate us? Everybody stand with. Come on, let's stand here. Come on, this is my closing. This is my crescendo. I want you to get this. Folks, listen. You've heard the gospel now. You ready? You've heard it. Now I want you to proclaim with Paul how glorious you think this is. Come on, everybody shout it out real strong. You ready? Here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Y'all ready? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither, come on church, nor life, nor come on. shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, give him praise in this place. Yeah. Now, folks, you have no idea how bad I've wanted to preach this. I, I've preach this message. I want to preach this everywhere I go. I, it, it's so needed. We need, I want to just say to you, thank God for a church like this. I mean, they're not perfect, but thank God that there's not a glossing over and trying to kind of make everybody just feel good all the time. You know, folks, I'll just be honest with you. If you're going to grow in Christ, you don't always need to feel good. I, I hate to learn, but you, you sometimes need to feel uncomfortable in church. Kind of like you did when I started out with that, the wrath of God. Sometimes you just, sometimes you need to feel that. You need to feel the weight. Because if you don't, and look, I embrace all the church that proclaims Jesus. But I bemoan the fact that today there's a lot of stuff out there where it's all about trying to give people a good life here. Come to Jesus and live your fullest life. But what about when we die? When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I see people walk by that judgment seat that I've preached to down through the years, what if I see Jesus say, I never knew you? But they point to me and they say, well, he preached to me and said, God loves you and has a good plan for your life. And Jesus looks at me and says, yes, but you didn't preach the whole gospel. <laughs> Folks, this is serious business. It is, it is the deepest reality 
that what we're doing here when we come together on Sunday is a matter of life and death. This is as big as you can get. I'm a big football fan and I'm excited about today. I'm a Chiefs fan. And see there now, that's the biggest shout I've gotten all day long. That's a problem. Sit back down, I'm gonna preach again. I'm a big Chiefs fan and I like that. I'll enjoy partaking of that game later on. But folks, that's nothing. I mean, what's that? I'm going to die. You're going to die at some point. What are you going to do? Stand before the throne and say, well, well I was a cheese fan. <laughs> this church and these pastors are only doing their job. If they make you feel the weight of your shortcomings, your sins, your weaknesses, so they can lead you to the cross. Altar services are still good sometimes in church where we come and just pour our heart out to God and say, Jesus, I want you to own my whole life. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes right now. And listen, I want to just ask you all over the place right now. I've preached the gospel message. You've heard it. Now you know it. What will you do with it? If you're here today and you say, Pastor Rick, man, I have not come face to face with what you were talking about today. Maybe you even prayed a prayer somewhere down the line. But it didn't really change your life. And today you say, Pastor Rick, today I want to answer that call. You can't hear a gospel message like this without God dealing with you in some way. And if that's you, you say, Pastor Rick, I want to give my life to Christ. I'm ready to say, Lord, here's the reins to my life. You take it. My family, my money, my future. You guide me according to your rule. Trusting that that life God has for you is better than anything you could provide for yourself. If that's you, I want to pray with you. And if you want that prayer, and you want to turn your life to Christ, I want you to slip up your hand real high right now, just quickly, all over the place right now. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? God bless you. 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 Okay. Yep. 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 You can put your hands down. And then I'm just going to ask one more time. If you've already raised your hand, you don't need to raise it again. Let me just ask one more why do you say, why do you do it one more time? Because there are always people that are in that, what I call that valley of decision. They're struggling. Why? Because Satan doesn't want to let go of them. So I'm going to ask you right now, if God is dealing with you, you feel that dealings of God in your son, you say, Pastor, me too, me too. I want to give my life to Christ. If you haven't raised your hand yet, just raise it right now if that's you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Who else? Anybody else? God bless you over here. God bless you, sir, there. My, 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 my. Come on. This is awesome. Anybody? This is it. Yes, sir. I saw your hand. You put it down. Anybody else? This is it. Anybody else? All right. Everybody look at me right now. Just listen to me carefully. Those of you who raise your hand, I'm going to pray with you right now. You're going to pray this out of your mouth. But when we pray this, listen to me. 
You heard my message. Do not just spout this off repeating after me. You know, just kind of like, all right, I did that to appease your conscience. Folks, if when you pray this prayer, you're not, if you're not saying to God, say, all right, God, I give up. I give up. God, here's my life. God, you lead me. Whatever you have for me, that's what I want. I'm done with this junk. You have to be saying that. So when everybody close your eyes once again, and let's pray this prayer together. Say this to God. Say, Dear Father God, thank you for your son Jesus who died for me on the cross so that I could be saved. I now humble myself before you. And I repent of all my sin. God, I am lost without you. I humble myself before you. And I give you my life and all that I am, and all that I have. Cleanse me from my sin, dear Lord, and lead me in your righteousness, for my life is now yours. In Jesus' name, amen.